1: God's Word. Um, My name is Nate. Good to be the pastor here at New City. Glad you are here. Before we get into the message, was that Rosa's story something, huh? I mean, did anybody like resonate? I mean, I'm asking you to like, yeah, acknowledge that. I, um, man, like there are times like in ministry where like something that you dream will happen happens and it just hits you suddenly, you know, and pardon me while I have a moment, okay? You know, just sitting there, thinking about all those years ago at Mission Ave. I mean, we didn't have a whole lot of money. We're at Mission Ave Elementary School. We're meeting in this cafeteria. Our Easter offering was $20,000. I mean, this was like big money for us. And to invest that into local school, to plant a seed, and, and to hope that it would bring about lasting impact in real people's lives, that, that real people from the ministry of New City and other churches in the city that we could partner together and could find ways to, to be present, like Jesus' presence in this city, and to bring real change to real people's lives. And you hear a story of real change about a real person's life, and I can't help myself to go, more of that, please, Lord Jesus, more of that, right? I mean, is anybody with me on that, like more of that? And so, like, I would expect today that Lynette would be like, I'm sorry, we have too many mentors signed up to help. Because we have a lot of roses out there who are, and I don't know if you heard her say this. She's like, she's like, I want out of poverty, and I'm doing what I can to get out of poverty. I need a helping hand, and thanks to thanks to this ministry. Like I'm on the path. I'm going to CNN. I mean, the whole deal, man. It's like what we've been praying for all these years. We would be a good news people that people would experience the good news in our life, that we would have the opportunity to share the good news message of Jesus through all of that. So, hey, that wasn't my sermon, but that's my sermon today, all right? That's really good. And so I don't want to shame you or twist your arm or anything like that, but, man, if you have any kind of, and the Holy Spirit's going, I probably should mentor, then I would say don't be disobedient. I would say obey that voice of the Holy Spirit. You can do that on the app. You can do it on the website. That's where all the information is. Lynette, who did the video, leads the charge on that effort she's in the lobby today. You can hunt her down and talk to her. She would love to mobilize you on mission with those families at Mission Elementary School. Okay, there, there's that. All right. And i got some announcements to make, I mean, I'm going to go through this real quick, but you'll see a list of dates here. We are moving to our new location at 4700 San Mateo. Last night, uh, our chairs were delivered like at 11 o'clock, and, and we got a mission team in town from Missouri, so thank you guys for being here and being there late at night uh, to unload the trailer. But, so we have, uh, we bought the same chairs, so just more of them, and so 300 chairs arrived. They're at the facility now. Uh, here's some things you can pray about, and if you want to know, like, hey, Pastor Nate, how you doing? Well, here's the deal like COVID has delayed everything it just delayed everything and everything's kind of taking longer and you can just pray uh, for things to not be delayed that's what you can pray for if you want to pray for (laughs) facility stuff but here's what we're counting on even though our speakers are not yet in because they are delayed due to COVID we're going to rent a system because we're going to make this happen because one of the first movements in our in our in our new neighborhood is to say to our neighbors we love you we're here for you here's a community movie night and so we'd love for you to come be a part of that because we are a part of our city a part of the neighborhoods that we live in and our church is in a neighborhood and we want to be a part of that neighborhood and we want to all of us together to say hey we're here and we'd love for you to come we've got food trucks we've got all kinds of activities happening there it's gonna be a great night popcorn all that kind of stuff so uh, that, that's the fourth of august uh, there's some work days that we're going to be moving things over um, and and kind of getting things ready for the new space we're hoping we'll see as the lord uh, provides that our final sunday will be august 22nd here that our first sunday will be um, will be later on the 29th we'll see you know, if the Lord provides and, and if that things work out, and then sometime in September we'll have a grand opening. We'll invite people from the city and say, all of our friends and families and neighbors, and say, hey, we're ready for you, and we'd love for you to come and to be a part of New City Church. So you can see some important dates there. Uh, one important date I want to highlight is September 29th. I've got uh, a friend of mine, Steve Cuss, coming to town. He wrote a book called Managing Leadership Anxiety, and we're hosting an event for business leaders and pastors in our city uh, because it turns out we're in a pretty anxious time. <laughs> people, 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 need some help, like processing their anxiety, and we want this to be one of the first movements of our church, we've said this from the very beginning a New City, and this is something I firmly believe, we've never sought to be the best church in the city, we just want to be the best church we can for the city, and what that means is, we want to help people, we want to help churches, we want to help leaders in our city, and that's how we see ourselves, as a help to the church in Albuquerque, so we're inviting a bunch of pastors, and the best I can tell, everybody I've talked to has said, hey, I think I need that, and so um, I think it's going to be a good, a good uh, uh, first step in the space as it's kind of up and running at the end of September. So that's what we're hoping for. All right, for ABQ, here's our sermon today. Uh, I've been kind of wrestling with, in the last few weeks, the question, why church? Uh, you could even add, like, why bother with the church, you know? Um, maybe some of you have wrestled with that question over the, the last year. Like, why, do, why are we doing this thing? What is church all about? And when I say church, I'm not talking about an event you attend. But I'm talking about the people that you belong to. Like, why, why should we be giving effort energy to this people? And what's it all about? And I'm going to answer the question, why church today, in three ways. I'm just going to give you three words. Belonging, peace, and security. And I hope that as you begin to kind of walk through the passage that we read today with me, that you'll see that belonging, peace, and security are things that we need. And they're things that church provides. And God gave us this gift of church for these three things. And so uh, let's talk first about belonging for a second and I'm just want to open the door here and we're going to step into some you know some dangerous territory we'll see how it goes all right so uh, when when have you felt like you really belonged can you think about that for, for a second in your mind's eye when have you felt like you've really belonged like when you showed up a place and you're like man I belong here I can remember the first time I had that experience was in my very first day at the School of Visual Arts as an art student. I was hanging out with a bunch of other art students. I was, it was my freshman year of college, and I was like, I thought I was the only one. Like, it turns out there are a lot of weirdos in the world, <laughs> and and I found them all, and we're all together, and it's like really great. And so it was like a lot of fun, like showing up. Like when I was in high school, I was really into art and competed in art competitions, and one of the bigger scholarships I got was for a self-portrait. It was my decapitated, decapitated head floating in a toilet, so I had some things to process in my youth. And, and so, but I won some uh, prizes for that, and, and as I met other people who also had some things to process in their youth, and I was like, man, I belong here. This is really cool. I belong. I want you to think about what that feels like, to belong, and, and what, what, how important that is to your psychological well-being. How important it is to like your emotional health, to, to be at a place and, and go, man, I belong here. I mean, you could think about the other way of thinking about of it, it's like when have you not felt like you didn't belong. That's that's not where I want to go yet. Uh, we'll get there. <laughs> but what w- what does it feel like to, to belong? Now I'm going to ask a question. It's kind of a little bit going to go into the darker side here. But just uh, just imagine for a second, you have um you have a friend, in a far off place. Let's say a friend in. In, in, uh, in Europe, or a friend in Australia, and your friend calls you up and says, hey friend, how would you describe what's going on in America right now? Like, how would you describe the general health of relationships in American society today? Like, if you were to, like, just to say, hey, in America right now, the emotional temperament, like, the relational temperament, like, just kind of culturally, how are, how, how things are going, like, how would you, how would you, how would you say that to a friend? Like I have a friend in you know, a far-off land who was kind of unfamiliar with American culture at this particular moment in history, and they were like, you know, it's been a tough year, there's been a lot of stuff going on, and here there's a pandemic around the world, you know, and like, how's, how are Americans dealing with that? How, how, is, you know, how would you ex- describe the state of general relationships around you? Now, I, I wrote down some things, and <laughs> they're mostly negative, but <laughs> I wrote down some things that I would say. I'd say some of the things I'm observing in the world is that a, a division with sparing empathy. I'm seeing a lot of that in the world today. A lot of division, but not like a lot of empathy for people who think differently than you. A, a, a fragmentation in, in society, but that fragmentation is beyond just right and left, but like just like lots of sort of fragments. And people are showing up, and they're going, I, I used to think I know what you thought, but now I don't know that what you think, and I don't even know what I think, and now I just feel like the world's kind of getting fragmented, which I think is leading to a suspicion, like suspicion of the motives of other people, like just that I I don't, you know, it it, it seems like we're being sort of taught to consider the person who has a different idea than us as the enemy, (laughs) and be suspicious of their motives and what they're really about, and maybe a a fear of vulnerability. This is the one that's been really interesting to me, the fear of vulnerability piece, because I've had this experience uh, lately a lot, where I will be talking to somebody, and I think that they see the world the way I see the world, because they, and the past, have seen the world the way I see the world, and I say something out loud about the state of the world, and they look at me like this, like, whoa. And, and you can read, like, in their eyes, they're saying, I didn't know that you were one of those, you know? <laughs> like, like, whoa, <laughs> you know? And I'm, like, I'm looking at them going, whoa, I didn't know you were one of those, you know? And it's, like, what's happening is, like, people are getting, like, a little bit scared of, like, sharing their ideas, because like they're like if I share my idea, then you might be suspicious of me and my motives, and, and the world is fractured. It seems like there's not a lot of empathy for people who are thinking a little bit differently than us. And, and, and I want to give you kind of a, a sense of what the Bible says about what the moment is. Uh, under, pressure, uh, under pressure, we all tend toward the impulses of the fall. Like this is just what happens. Uh, so the Genesis narrative isn't just like a story of how the world came into being. It is describing the nature of humanity itself. And so what happens when you're reading Genesis, what you're reading is you're reading about human nature. And Adam and Eve, they sin. What do they do in their sin? They don't go, oh, I gotta go find God, I sinned. That's not what they do, they hide. And they cover themselves up. And then when God comes walking in the cool of the day on the first missionary journey, looking for Adam and Eve, and he says, Adam, where are you? And he starts questioning, and Adam says, the woman whom you gave me, she's the one. And you see blame shifting. And immediately you see in the garden fear and hiding, and, and you see division and blame. And so if, if you are like looking at the world right now and you're going, man, the world's crazy. Like, I don't know how to engage with it. I, I kind of have like all these sort of feelings about it. Well, it's because the whole world, like the whole world's been under pressure. And you would expect if the whole world's been under pressure, the impulse of the fall would be the ones that we'd experience. Fear and hiding and division and blame. And what happens when you go into that place of fear and hiding and division and blame is that you increasingly become more and more isolated, or could we just say you become more alone? And you feel alone in the world. I think the most palpable effect of the fall is not shame because of sin, it's loneliness. Like that's, like, if you're going to say, what's the bottom? Like, what is the bottom when it comes to sin in the world? The bottom, the darkest emotion that one could feel is loneliness. Like you don't belong. Like you don't know who anybody is anymore. You don't know who yourself, (laughs) you don't know who you are anymore in the world and you just feel all alone. And so when the world starts showing up with division and fragmentation and suspicion and fear, like you shouldn't be surprised because the world's been under pressure. And when it starts showing up in your family, you shouldn't be surprised because your family's been under pressure. It starts showing up in your workplace, you shouldn't be surprised because your workplace has been under pressure. Like division and fragmentation and suspicion and fear, those things all come out of the fall. They all come because of like, the pressure, and we have those impulses. But let me just right, press in for a second. All right? <coughs> Churches have been under the same pressure the entire world has experienced churches have been experiencing it, and I, I think one of the biggest challenges facing the church today is the fear and suspicion that is leading to the fragmentation division we're seeing in all domains of society. People are like, I don't know if I can be vulnerable around those people. You know, <laughs> you know I don't know. And I'm suspicious of their motives. What, what are they really about? And then like, there's so much fragmentation and division of the world today. I think I'll just, you know, I think I'll just unplug for a little bit. I think that's the biggest challenge to the church today. And there's been a lot of talk lately. Podcasts and books and... Written about deconstructing the church, deconstructing Christianity, deconstructing the systems of injustice, deconstructing all kinds of domains of life, including the church. Now, I want to encourage you. If if Christians believe that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, that God alone gets the glory, there should be no illusion of a church that is without continuous need for repentance. Which is, by the way, one of the things I'm really excited about in our, in our new format as a church is we're taking time every week to say we're sinners. Like, we're imperfect people, and we recognize that. And you read the Bible, and it says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. Paul says this in the letter of Ephesians that we are studying. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. Not a result of works, so and nobody can boast. So nobody shows up at church going, I've got it all together. We show up at the church saying, Jesus had it all together because I don't have it all together. That's the message of Christianity. And I want to further encourage you. There are many churches that are honestly evaluating racism and toxic masculinity and abuses of power. They're honestly doing it. And sometimes in a world where there's lots of fragmentation, lots of division, you can start to generalize categories you can sort of say, oh, the, the church is, all churches are like this church, or all churches are like this impression I have of church, or all Christians are like this impression I have of Christians. It's just simply not true. It's not, it's intellectually lazy to assume those kinds of things. I can tell you, as a, as a church, we've been really wrestling, reading books and thinking and wrestling and evaluating and saying, where are the sins that we must confess? I think the most obvious Warning sign that the church is straight from the Gospels' arrogance. It's arrogance. And when you see in a church community, arrogance, like we have it together, this is it, you know, we are, you know, presenting ourselves as though we've got it together, then, then that's probably a mistake. Because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble, and that's the Bible. And so humility is a posture that we have to kind of hold on to. And so I want to further encourage you. Churches, our church included, are full of people who are being taught to remember. To remember where we came from. To remember how God rescued us. To remember our salvation story. And our text today in Ephesians 2.11 begins with remembrance. Remember that you at one time were Gentiles. Now he's writing to a primarily Gentile audience. But there is a friction between Jews and Gentiles. If you understand the biblical narrative, what happened is the gospel first came to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. But as Gentiles were coming into the body, there was some Friction. And so he's, I want you to remember. By the way, Jews had like a regular practice of remembering and have. So Jewish people have a regular practice of remembering that they were immigrant slaves in Egypt and that God rescued them from slavery. Like there's regular remembrance opportunities, like Passover, for example, that we also celebrate in, in you know, with our Jewish heritage every week when we take the cup. We're, we're, what we're doing is we're breaking the bread and we're taking the, the, the cup and remembering Christ, the the true and better Moses. Remember Christ, the true and better Lamb who gave us this celebration at Passover itself. We are also remembering that we were slaves, not only in Egypt, that we were slaves to sin and God rescued us and brought us in to a life of worship, like we're remembering. But here he's saying, Gentile Christians, I want you to remember what it was like. So Gentiles, anybody who's not a Jew, I want you to remember what it was like to be separated, alienated, strangers, with no hope without God. I want you to remember what it was like. Because this remembrance is going to be important for the later conversation about reconciliation and belonging. So therefore, remember, he says, verse 11, verse 12, remember that you were at one time uh, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, meaning that the the gospel first came to the Jews and then to the Gentiles, and you did not have the heritage of the Messiah. You didn't have the heritage of God's promises. You were strangers to the covenants and promises of God, having no hope and without God in the world. Lost. He's saying, I want you to remember how the love of Jesus obliterated your capacity for hatred and hostility. Once you remember what you were and how God brought you in and the beauty of the community that God built with Jews and Gentiles alike dwelling together in harmony. But now, he says, remember what you were, lost, separated, alone, not belonging. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both, Jews and Gentiles, both one, and has broken down in his flesh a dividing wall of hostility and abolishing the law and commandments express the ordinances, the things that separated us, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility, murdering the hostility. So let me just, we've got to avoid saying things like, the world has never been more divided than it is today. We just have to avoid saying things like that. So that kind of hyperbole doesn't help us. And sometimes when we use that kind of hyperbole, what we're saying is uh, the Bible's not relevant to this time because this time is worse than all other times. I just want you to know it's not. The church in her infancy healed the most bitter divides and created a wonderful and diverse family. Listen to what John Stott says in his commentary in Ephesians and see if this doesn't sort of ring some bells. He says, the Jew had an immense contempt for the Gentile. The Gentiles said the Jews were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. So let me just say that God rescues religious fundamentalists, and that has uh, always been an issue, religious fundamentalism. God, they said, loves only Israel. Of all the nations he had made, it was not even lawful to render help to a Gentile mother in her hour of source need, for that would simply to be, it was simply to bring another Gentile into the world. Until Christ came, the Gentiles were an object of contempt to the Jews. The barrier between them was absolute. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl or if a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, the funeral of that Jewish boy or girl would be carried out. Such a contract with a Gentile was the equivalent of death, and yet Jesus makes peace. I think one of the things that makes the church so beautiful is her diversity. It's her peace and her diversity. It's one of the things that that makes church a place I want to (laughs) be. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off, Gentiles. And peace to those who are near, Jews. And what did he do by (laughs) his death on the cross? He brought about a ministry of reconciliation of which you and I get to participate in. For through him, through Jesus, we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access in one spirit to the Father. And one of the things that the church does, one of the, I don't want to say it this way. I'm going to speak aspirationally, but I want to say it this way because I want it to be true. And I believe it is true. So I'll say it this way. One of the the things that the church can provide, and I do believe does provide when she's at her best, is a radical sense of belonging for people who are different. It just, just happens. Because we come into the kingdom of Jesus not with like our... Resumes. We, we come into the kingdom of Jesus admitting our failures and our need for Jesus to do away with the things that are killing us. And it's the sin of the world and sin in our life is the thing that's undoing us. And we have no power over it. And Jesus alone has power over it. And he took care of it. And because he took care of it, he brought us into the family. And we see ourselves, and this is radical, we see ourselves as part of, as Paul will say in the passage today, of the household of God. Or we see ourselves as a family. And so here we are, brothers and sisters, diverse in background, diverse in color, diverse in gender, but belonging to one another. It's radical. So why church? Because it's a place of radical belonging. It's a place of peace. And I, I believe, man, I I, I believe this to be true that you can have you can have all kinds of conflict with people who are different from you out in the world, uh, in in your workplace, and on the internet and, you know, other places that you hang out. And, you know, you can have all kind, all kind of controversy and hatred and all kinds of anxiety about relationships out there. But when you come here to church, you belong and experience peace. That's what happens here. And it's because of Jesus. Peace is what God does. And it's what we experience when we let the Spirit lead. Peace is God's thing. For through him, Jesus, we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access in one spirit to the Father. It's the work that God does. Peterson says Americans talk and write endlessly about what the church needs to become, what the church must do to be effective. The perceived failures of the church are analyzed and reforming strategies prescribed. The church is understood almost exclusively in terms of function, what we can see. And I think Peterson steers us here to think. Peterson, is ste- <laughs> he, he says, hey, don't be so, don't be so in some ways, don't be so lazy. And don't be so arrogant to think it all depends on you. Now, when I, be say, when I say lazy, I just mean intellectually lazy, like, oh, yeah, we're going to figure this out. If you're really gonna be applying your mind to the Scripture and really be thinking about the Scripture and really be dwelling on the Scripture, you're going to find that God's the one that figures it out. But what I'm wanting to say is this, Peterson says. There's more, far more, to the church than us. There's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Most of what the church is, not all, is invisible. We miss the complexity and glory of church if we insist on measuring and defining it by the parts that we play in it. Peace happens because this is one place where you don't have to pretend you have it all together. This is one place where you you don't have to put on a face, you don't have to be striving, you don't have to be working really hard to prove your value and to prove that you matter. This is one place where we come to recognize that God matters, that Jesus matters, that he has mattered for us, that we are free not to matter at all. And it, it just brings to a community peace. Like there's nobody sort of striving to get to the top in here. Because, like, we're we family brought into the household. I'm going all right, we'll see. We'll see what the Lord does here. Peace happens when the church stops being something we individually consume and starts being something we communally experience. All right, so... I do think this is a strategy of the enemy, and I'm just going to say it, okay? I think this is a strategy of the enemy, and I think this is what he, he wants for the church. Is that he wants for you to become an individual consumer of a spiritual product rather than a member of the household of God within the context of a local church. That's what he wants. And you will never be experiencing what church is for you, what ch- the gift that church is for you if, you, if you continually try to consume it as an individual rather than offering yourself as a member of the household of God as a participant in community. And listen, division will, con- will continue to increase the more and more people are individualistically consuming and aren't talking to one another in the context of community and having conversations around the table where the Holy Spirit is present and helping you to understand your thoughts and the thoughts of others and the thoughts of people who are different from you. This is a part of your spiritual formation is to be in a community where you belong in peace experience in difference. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, your family. Here's what you'll find in, in healthy churches the church is, n- is not like the political hierarchies of the world, it's, it's a family. I mean, we are citizens of heaven, but we are citizens as family. Our, our minds are trained to think in terms of hierarchy. Uh, they're, they're trained by the American sort of Western sort of way of doing things. They're trained to think in terms of importance, to see people and to see where you are in relationship to them, to see people in terms of their levels of importance. And Paul presses in this a lot in his gospel teaching. He's continually doing it because he's the apostle commissioned to speak to the Gentiles. And so he's constantly talking about this tension between Jews and Gentiles, the tension between those who are different. And he says in Galatians three twenty seven, for as many of you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are are Abraham's offspring heirs according to the promise now here's what he's saying he's saying there's no Jew or Greek there's no hierarchy within the church those who were Jews the gospel came first to you but you're not more important than the Greeks and he's saying hey there's no slave or free you may have you may be a business owner with employees but you're no better than anyone else in the the household of God there's no hierarchy you may be talking about like men and women but there's not hierarchy there is in the world out there it's different in here man this is, this is not how it works. Out there, there's hierarchy, and here, there's not. We are heirs, family, brothers, and sisters together on the same playing field. And so you can say the church is not about gaining power over others. That's not what the church is about. The church is about giving up power for others. That's what the church is about. Always has been. The story in Matthew 20 where... Uh, the sons of thunder, James and John, their mom, you know, starts getting involved, and she's like, you know, I really think my sons should be, like, at Jesus' right hand. Like, when the kingdom comes, he's going to need to have those who are most important, you know, to his right, and his left, and they're going to be the ones who are calling the shots, and, you know, and James and John kind of made the rest of the ten pretty angry, and Jesus says, I'm going to take this opportunity to be a teaching moment. I want to teach you about what it looks like to live in the context of my kingdom, and he says, uh, so, so the Bible says Matthew 20, but Jesus called them to him, and he says, "You know the rulers and the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. You see the hierarchies of the world around you. It shall not be so among you. N- not in my house. But whoever be great among you must be your servant." Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what my house looks like. And you could say individualistic, power-hungry religion is antithetical to the gospel and a recipe for hostility and division. That's what it is. It doesn't happen in Christ's house. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is the one that looks after orphans and widows and their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. It's the kind of religion that shows up at Mission Avenue Elementary School and says to to young moms looking to get an opportunity in life and says, hey, here, I'm here for you. That's the kind of religion that God honors. While we're at it, the biblical vision of the church is a multi-ethnic family coming together to celebrate Jesus and His peace. And when John sees the vision of our future reality, he says, here's what the future reality kind of feels like. Now, as I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands. And later he writes in verse 17, For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. In other words, he's going to bring about peace for the nations. Simon uh, Austin in his commentary says, As a concept, peace in the Old Testament relates to wholeness, particularly with reference to personal relationships. Such wholeness by virtue of the creation of a new man, a new humanity, is now possible. The peace that Jesus brings is the kind of peace that brings personal wholeness. Now, this was interesting to me, and I wrote this down in my journal this week as I was reading the text over and over, and when I came across that quote, and so if it's helpful for you, maybe maybe it's something you need. Wholeness cannot be achieved by yourself. Wholeness arrives as the work of the Spirit in the context of community. When God made man, he said, Man, this is good, everything's good, and then he said, It's not good that you're alone. Like you're made for community. When the Spirit shows up and starts bringing together community in the context of the church and growing the church and building the church and the Spirit starts doing that, the Spirit brings together the most unlikely people to experience community. But what happens when those unlikely people start coming together to experience community is that you start to experience wholeness. This is part of what God does in restoring. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So God's making peace with strangers. That's what he does in the church. But it begs the question, I think, and Eugene Peterson does it, and I wish he hadn't asked it. He says, so far, so good. (laughs) But here's the puzzle. If Paul's right, and I would not be writing this commentary he's writing, if I wasn't convinced he is, then why isn't the church with Christ as its head the most conspicuous place on earth as a place of peace and peacemaking? I think there are two things here I want to say about it. One is, I think we, and this is just me being vulnerable with you, We're living in the shadow of our future self. The kingdom is here, it's not yet. Salvation has happened, is happening, and will happen. The church will always be an imperfect portrait of our true and future self. And so, in in one way, I just want to say to you, friend, be patient. With Christian people who are being formed, who are right now, by the Holy Spirit, being formed, and aren't their true selves. Like be patient. But the second thing I want to say is that when Jesus is not the cornerstone, the whole thing falls apart. And sometimes churches do stray from Jesus. And other things become more important. And for the church, nothing, no, no singular subject can be more important than Jesus. Jesus if it's going to be giving the kind of life that Jesus is come to bring. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, that's the Bible, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, the church. Is built on the foundation of what God has said through His Word, the cornerstone, the key, the thing that holds it all together is Jesus. Without Him, the whole thing falls apart. But with Him, there's security. There's security. Why church? Well, the church brings belonging. I mean, radical belonging, different people belonging together, peace, where there's conflict everywhere else in the world and relationship, peace is established in the church because of what Jesus has done for us. If I have been so radically forgiven by Christ, I have to be radically forgiving of others. If I've experienced His, reconcil- His reconciling work with me between me and Him, then I, I am empowered then to, to engage that reconciling work between me and others. And, and so what you have in the church is you have, you have belonging, you have peace, and you have security because none of it rests on your effort. The church is not secure because she is in the hands of capable people. Oh, listen, she is secure because, she, because the Spirit's work. The security of the church doesn't rest in like the pastors. The security of the church rests in the Holy Spirit. In Him, you also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Built together how? By the Spirit. Built together how? By the Spirit. Who does the building? The Spirit does the building. The church is secure because her foundation is held together by Jesus, built on the foundation of the apostles, prophets, Christ Himself, the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure is held together. So any church that doesn't depend on Jesus and the Spirit is not behaving like the church, and that's a good litmus test. You go, I don't know why there's not so much, there's not a whole lot of belonging or peace or security in that place. Well, well, if it's not depending on Jesus and the Holy Spirit, then it's gone. It's gone. It's gone. The wrong way. All right, so here's some three diagnostic questions. Here's all in the plane here. This is what we're at, okay? Do you belong and are you you helping others to belong to the family of God? If you're like, I don't know if I belong yet. Well, listen, Jesus has brought you in. Just receive the gift. He lived the life you could not live. He died the death you should have died. He was buried in the grave. He rose again. He conquered your sin and death. He gave you his righteousness and the Holy Spirit to affirm it. And so the Holy Spirit inside of you says, yes, you know, yes, those things, and then say yes and belong. The other question is are you fostering a sense of belonging? Are you doing that As, as a member of the household of God? Are you fostering a sense of belonging? How are you participating with Jesus to make peace through the ministry of the church? Like, in what ways can you look in your life and go, man, there's some peacemaking happening? Are you dependent on Jesus and the Spirit for the security as a, as a family, for our security as a family? Are you dependent on the Spirit? Are you looking to Jesus? Because the church is not an event you attend. It's the people you belong to, and the people do the depending. The people depend on Jesus. The people depend on the Spirit. And are you depending upon Jesus? Are you depending on the Spirit in the context of our family, the context of the community? Look, I hope that Albuquerque will know that we are Jesus followers by our love. I hope that will be the key. I mean, I hope that will be the thing, you know. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And I think one of the ways that happens is, well, the church belongs to one another. They, they experience peace together and they live a sense of relational security, and I think those things are all because of Jesus, and if we want to be uh, that symbol of love to our city, we want our city to know that this is a, this is a place of love, Then it's going to start with a commitment to one another, and belonging, peace, and security, all right, so Lord Jesus, sometimes, you know, I end these things, and I'm like just thinking about like what do you want to do, what do you want to do, and I'm just like stressed about how to pray those things into being, and and just right now, I just want to hit pause and Lord Jesus and say, do what you want to do. Like, you have your way with us. You're the head. We're the body. Like, right now, do what you want to do. Animate us. Like, move us. If there's a decision we need to make today, then then, then help us to make that decision by the power of your Holy Spirit. If there's, if there's sin to repent of today, then help us to repent of that sin by the power of your Holy Spirit. If there's If there's a a commitment to community you want us to make today, then by the power of your Spirit, help us to make it. Like, you do what you want to do, and I'm just going to sit here and ask you to do it. So, Father, we are grateful that you have not left us alone in this world. Lord Jesus, thank you for sending the Spirit. Holy Spirit, we are completely dependent upon your leadership. Build your church. Make this a temple. Father, dwell here among us. It is in your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen.